a brother was praying for me this morning and said, uh, gosh, after all these years, this must be easy. Let me assure you, after 40 years, this is not easy. In fact, when Craig let me know that he was going to be away and asked if I would pray, my ready answer was no, because I thought of all the things that I had to do. And uh, then the Lord stepped in and said, not so fast. And he compelled me with a passage that uh, he wants me to share with you. And I do that with some fear and trepidation because uh, I'm not equal to it, but he is. You see, we get busy in our lives, and we get on a certain rhythm, and we uh, proceed on down the road uh, with that which is familiar, and then the Lord intervenes and grabs our attention, grabs our hearts. See, last Sunday was pretty normal for most of us as we worshiped together, and we enjoyed fellowship together here and sought to glorify God in the Lord's day. And yet, for some fellow Christians in Sutherland Springs, Texas, it involved the sudden encroachment of evil in the midst of their worship as a man entered their sanctuary in the worship service and began to methodically kill everyone he could. I don't know about you, but that event shocked me and sobered me, and I suspect it did it for you too. Though his motive was uh, apparently a matter of domestic uh, dispute with his, uh, his in-laws, it is nonetheless startling that it took place in a church in the middle of their morning worship service. And you know, since the shooting at Emmanuel EME just down the way here, I have found myself, I must confess, uh, at times in the middle of our worship services asking myself, what would I do if someone entered now and began to attack us? See, evil is a real, a real thing in this world, and it's not necessarily that far from us. The fact is that this most recent shooting took, well, took place well over a thousand miles away, but that doesn't diminish its relevance to our church. Its relevance is not because First Baptist, Sutherland Springs, Texas, and Redeemer are two, different, two churches in America. The connection is that the people of that church and the people of this church stand on the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Those people who were traumatized or killed in that church are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet though the Texas shooting was the worst shooting in the church in this country's history, it doesn't compare in scale to the killing of Christians every day in other countries in this world. For instance, a church where the church worshipers were locked inside the church and then the church was burned to the ground with them inside. Ironically, last Sunday was the first of two Sundays designated as the Inter International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, with today being the second one of those Sundays. And so God has granted to us a vivid reminder of the reality of the persecution of Christians. And he points to such events not to shock us, but rather to energize us to action in support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Persecution is plainly described in Scripture, and so I want us to turn to a passage 
uh, where the Apostle Paul describes his experience as one imprisoned for Christ. So turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1, and beginning at the 12th verse. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you, and you can find it in the pew Bibles on page 980. And when you've found that passage, please stand so that we can hear God's Word read and honor the beauty of His Word. Listen carefully as I read to you from Philippians chapter 1, beginning at the 12th verse, the inspired Word of God, indeed the authoritative Word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, your Word is a rich treasure that you give to us, not just because it's words on the page, but because your Spirit works in our hearts to, in essence, inflame our hearts with the truth of your Word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts before you in the work of your Spirit, and that you would use me, frail vessel that I am, to be your instrument for the proclamation of your word, for your glory, and for the building up of the saints. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please be seated. The Apostle Paul, in this letter to the Christians in Philippi, was writing from prison. He knew firsthand the truth of what he wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, where he wrote, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In our text this morning, Paul opens our eyes to the big picture of persecution that it's not really about an individual experience as much as it is about God's gracious work in this world in making known the gospel of grace in Christ. Though suffering is hard and undeniably heart-wrenching for us, Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, a very familiar passage, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So as we study our text this morning in Philippians, I want us to see three things. First, that persecution is used by God for the advance of the gospel. Secondly, that persecution knits the hearts of Christians together in mutual love and support. And then finally, that persecution of our brethren prepares us for what suffering we may face someday. Now, it may surprise you that we would even think that persecution could be used by God to advance the gospel, but that's the very thing that Paul talks about here. Whether it's Hindu nationalists in India who recently ordered another 20 Christian churches to be closed in what Christian leaders there call a well-planned conspiracy against the Christian community, or the imprisonment of Christians in China, the enemies of Christ, seek to rid the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, our all-wise, sovereign, and gracious God uses even their evil intent and actions to advance the gospel in the world. That has to flabbergast those who are opposed to Christ. Since the rise of communism in China in 1949, the communist leaders have sought to expel Christianity from that nation, But instead, the church in China has exploded with growth in the 68 years since the communists came to rule. How can can persecution possibly advance the gospel? Well, Paul tells us through his own experience. Look at verse 13, where he demonstrates how persecution makes Christ known. He writes, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, in human terms, Paul was defeated. He was in prison. He couldn't wander the earth again and and proclaim Jesus Christ. He was now in chains, or so his enemies thought. And yet, even in his imprisonment, it became known to the soldiers who were guarding the prison that Paul was imprisoned for Christ because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So as a result, Paul would have had opportunities for gospel conversations with the soldiers that guarded the prison. How else would he have had encounters with those people? God opened doors for him. And not just for Paul. Some years ago, there were two Iranian Christian women who were imprisoned for their faith in Christ. And these women testified that they found that they had more opportunities to share the gospel in prison than they had when they were free on the street. God opens doors in surprising ways. 
And in addition to making Christ known, persecution emboldens Christians to speak God's word without fear. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, the bold faith of Christians who endure persecution and suffering for Christ inspire the rest of us to be bold in telling others about Jesus Christ. Remember how the faith of the survivors and family members of the Emmanuel AME shooting spoke boldly about Jesus in that aftermath? Their gracious forgiveness toward the shooter was so startling that it shocked the world and caused even secular media to report on their faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for many days. It also moved many Christians to be witnesses to the power of the gospel to change lives, to change hearts. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to save us. He lived as a man yet without sin, and though innocent, was crucified on a cross for your sins and mine to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And then he rose from the dead so that we who believe and entrust our lives to him will have eternal life with him and will live with him in glory forever. That powerful gospel has changed you and me. Has it not? It's a message that must be proclaimed. God chooses to use even the persecution of Christians to get the world's attention and to move us to proclaim the good news of sins forgiven, lives set free, and eternal future in glory with our beloved Savior Jesus. There's no doubt that persecution comes by evil intent. No one questions that. But God turns evil motives to good, de- good ends, to good results. Paul points this out in verses 15 through 18. It's quite natural for us to be angry with injustice. You probably felt some anger in the, in the aftermath of what happened last Sunday in Texas. It would have been expected for Paul to be angry that people would preach the gospel in order to get him into deeper trouble with the authorities. But what is Paul's response to their treachery? He rejoices. Wait a minute, you've got to be kidding. He rejoices? He's not glad for the injustice, but rather he rejoices that God would use even the evil motives of his enemies to move them to proclaim Christ. They meant their actions for evil, but God meant them for good. Even as we hear in Genesis 50 about Joseph proclaiming to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What about you? What's been your experience of being treated differently at work, in school, or perhaps by your in-laws or siblings because you have entrusted your life to Jesus Christ? What's been your experience? How have you responded to being shunned or spoken ill of by others because of your faith? How do we respond to the persecution of Christians in the world or in our own lives? What does the gospel do? How does it advance in the face of persecution? And what does that look like? Well, let's look further at our text and see what God did in the believers in Philippi in response to Paul's imprisonment. 
You see, persecution knits the hearts of Christians together in mutual love and support. Paul points immediately to the prayers of the Philippian Christians on his behalf. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Clearly, Paul was loved by the Philippian Christians because he'd brought the gospel to them. He was the one who planted the church in Philippi. So they prayed fervently for him. And Paul was hoping for deliverance and to be able to return to ministry to them. But notice what Paul emphasizes. His overarching purpose is that our focus would be on Christ and his goals. We certainly understand his desire for deliverance, for that's often our first thoughts when we face any sort of suffering, whether by illness or adverse circumstances or by hurtful actions of others. We want the suffering to end as soon as possible. Is that not true? And yet, what's Paul's emphasis? Look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, no matter what the outcome of his imprisonment, whether it's life or death, Paul wants Christ to be honored in his life. He makes a bold declaration in verse 21. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, we may be thrilled by Paul's proclamation in verse 21, but it's all too easy to look at it abstractly as some sort of theological concept and and not have it really grip our hearts. It certainly doesn't come naturally in the face of deep and heart-wrenching adversity to declare, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet that's the model that God gives us here. Because the gospel is true and is life, and it's a life-changing power, it ought to animate our hearts in our daily lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. But lest you think it's abstract, recently our own Bill and Sheem Simpson shared with me that Sheem was having tests that would perhaps indicate that she had cancer. And it's not unusual for people to share struggles for prayer, but what surprised me and deeply encouraged me is that Sheem sincerely and enthusiastically declared for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Her faith in the face of potentially deadly news glorified the Lord Jesus Christ and declared pain, painful, plainly, excuse me, plainly how powerful the gospel of grace is to change lives, to change our thinking from fear and sorrow to confidence and joy in the Lord. Paul says in Colossians 3:4, Christ who is your life. Is that how you think? See, to live is all about living for Jesus Christ. He is our life. And we are servants of his gospel. Having every we ought to have every thought and action aimed at advancing the gospel in this world. But what does that commitment look like in your daily life and mine, especially in times of suffering? Well, individual desires, God wants our individual desires to be submitted to his purposes. We have 
at one time or another, all wrestled with making choices between two or more options, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's weighing whether or not to uh, choose that which he counts for gain, to go to be with the Lord, and against remaining in this life and helping the Philippian church out. I mean, he faced the choice between glory and eternal joy and freedom from sin and from sickness and from decay and being face-to-face with his Savior for all eternity on the one hand or going back into this sin-wracked world in order to serve the Philippian Christians. And Paul chose to stay and to continue in ministry to that church because it served his Savior Jesus' desires and purposes for the gospel to have a growing impact in the lives of Christians such as you and I. Paul set a higher priority on glorifying God than on what we all look forward to in glory. How do you pray within your community groups when somebody shares a struggle? Do you tend to pray only for deliverance from sickness or from a trial? Should we not also help one another uh, in prayer that God would help them glorify God in the situation, in the midst of the trial. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about it. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, it's recorded that Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yes, he prayed for deliverance, but then he submitted to the Father's will that the Father would be glorified in his death. Our salvation rests on the fact that Jesus was faithful. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Uh, Or that's Paul. He was an apostle. You know, what can ordinary Christians do, like you and me? How can we love and support our fellow Christians who are under the weight of persecution? See, we too can love and support persecuted Christians. We can naturally empathize with those in our own country who are going through strife, whether it's storms or wildfires that have ravaged their lives. Those sorts of adversities, you know, we can kind of identify with because some of us have actually been through such things. But what about Christians who are being persecuted in faraway places around the world? How can we become aware of their plight? For example, do you know that there's an American pastor named Andrew Brunson who's been in prison in Iran for over a year and that he serves with World Witness, the very same agency that Rob and Claudia Holmes serve with? What can we do to love and support our brothers and sisters who are so far away? Well, first we can become aware of those who are being persecuted. There are many ministries online that will give you Uh, information about persecution that's going on right now. Uh, Three of them are listed in the bulletin right underneath where it says, we'll hear God's word. There are three of them listed there, Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors USA, and International Christian Concern. They are others, but they provide current news on persecution and the needs of those who are experiencing it. And some ministries will even send you a prayer calendar so that you can have a guide how to pray specifically for an individual by name and their situation. But beyond just praying for them, we need to let the persecuted into our own hearts. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who were in prison as though in prison with them. 
and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's too easy to be so distracted by the constant barrage of social media and television and email and the other demands on our attention, so distracted by that that we often forget about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet we wouldn't imagine about forgetting about a biological brother who is in prison or a biological sister who is being beaten by her husband because of her faith in Christ. As you subscribe to one or more of these ministry reports that I've mentioned, be diligent to read those reports and to pray for them, mindful that you are part of their family, the family of Christ. As you grow in concern for their welfare, then turn around and share their needs with others within your community group or others that you know, that you know who will pray so that they can join in supporting those who are persecuted, those who are our brothers and sisters. And then finally, you can give to ministries that support the persecuted. Now, I'm not in fundraising, but you know, they need our help. It's not likely that God's going to call you to go to the persecuted, although he may someday. But through ministry organizations such as Voice the Martyrs or Open Doors, you can provide funds that enable their workers to provide Bibles, to provide discipleship training, to provide trauma counseling, and financial support to the persecuted and their family members. How about you? Will you welcome the persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ into your heart? Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. But beyond this one day, we can identify with them by praying for and supporting our brothers and sisters year-round in practical ways. Now, persecution at this point may seem to you to be something that is distant, that's out there. It seems very remote and something that we can forget, but Paul shows us that persecution of our brethren is really also for us. It's to prepare us for suffering that we too will face one day. Paul up till now has been talking about his experience of suffering, but then starting in verse 27, he starts to talk about us. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or are absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, the persecution that Paul faced is really part of God's wise design to prepare the Philippian Christians and us for the persecution that will come our way. Paul records in Romans 8, 16, and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, if we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, then we will be called to suffer in some form or another. That's what the Bible declares. 
this part about suffering may be something you'd rather not think about. But you know, ignoring it will set us up to be ill-equipped for the suffering that will come to us. Paul is urging each of us to let the gospel guide and govern our lives. Like he says in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. But how are we to do that? Well, over in Colossians 3.16, Paul wrote, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That means we need God's word because God's word reminds us that we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be adopted as his sons and daughters by faith in Christ. It reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it reminds us that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. So we need the word to remind us, to encourage us, but we also need each other. Because notice it talks about teaching and admonishing one another. We need each other to encourage each other, especially when someone is going through a hard time. We need to come alongside them. You see, the love of Christ in the gospel, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he goes on in that chapter and Paul says that because this is true, because the the gospel and the, the love of Christ in the gospel compels us to represent him and he calls us ambassadors of Christ. And so we're called to love and to encourage and to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially those who are in need due to persecution because of their faith. May the gospel of grace move all of us to live boldly for the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in his sovereignty, his control over all things, and his unwavering love for us. Yet the suffering that Christians endure is not just about us. Paul shows that suffering is part of the Christian life so that God will be widely known. Paul says in verse 29, It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. (laughs) The word grant goes along with the idea of gift. You don't think of suffering as a gift, but... To grant something is to give freely something of value. And so we've been given the privilege of suffering for Christ. So that as Paul said in verse 13, it would become widely known that we suffer for Christ. We are in our suffering showing forth the gospel, that it's true, that it is of such great worth that we're willing to endure hardship and even suffering for the sake of Christ and that we've committed our lives to ensure that others come to know him and trust in him as their beloved Savior, even as he is ours. We are called to proclaim Christ not only with our words, but also with our lives. The Christian life to which you and I have been called is really all about Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors to proclaim the sovereign grace and love of God that has been poured out on us. See, Jesus' work of salvation is complete, but the work of proclaiming the gospel 
is to continue until he returns. Our voices are God's instrument for proclamation. But you know, sometimes the clearest message of Christ's worth and the beauty of the gospel is not just heard, but it is seen through the suffering of Christians. Other Christians throughout the centuries since Christ have been willing to die rather than deny their Savior. Today, there are those who are doing the same thing in many places around the world. God makes them and their plight known to us so that we can help them and also so that we will be inspired by their courage and empowered by God's Spirit to go ourselves to proclaim that there is no other name that has power to save but Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, these are hard times, though for us not near as hard as our brothers and sisters there in Texas or our brothers and sisters in Beijing or in Eritrea or in Pakistan or India or the Central African Republic or any number of other places where they are faced with having to hide their faith. Oh, Lord, we pray even for our brethren in North Korea. Our attention is so often focused on nuclear weapons when really the issue at hand is our brothers and sisters in Christ who can be killed for merely possessing a Bible. Father, knit our hearts together with them. Make us aware of them and so fill us with compassion for them that we will not just sit back and say oh that's terrible but that we'll do something about it in prayer in giving in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and we ask that you would be glorified in our lives for we ask it in Jesus name amen